0: Good afternoon and welcome once again to our Wednesday afternoon seminar series. This week we're happy to have another guest speaker. Uh, Our speaker today is Professor Wenke Lee of North Carolina State University. Professor Lee received his PhD after studies at Columbia University in New York and his area of specialization is in intrusion detection and other areas of information security. He's going to be talking to us today about some of his research work and development work in the area of intrusion detection. So please join me in
1: welcoming Professor Lee. Thank you, Smith. Okay. So uh, here's the outline of my talk. Uh, I will first give a very brief uh, introduction of uh, what is intrusion detection, what it is uh, supposed to do, and what's the problems. We are having uh, with this technology, and then I talk about a uh, data mining process that can be used to build uh, more effective intrusion detection systems. Uh, after that, I'm going to switch gear and talk about more recent research, uh, which include the cost-effective uh, modeling and analysis for intrusion detection. Talk about some information theoretic based approach for anomaly, for for building anomaly detection system. So, why do we need intrusion detection techniques? Okay, so we have to uh, look at it from, from the perspective of building a secure network. So, how do you secure a network? You first have to analyze the vulnerabilities of your network environment, and obviously you want to prevent these vulnerabilities being exploited. okay? But preventions don't always uh, work. So you want to put out a second line of uh, defense, meaning if the prevention fails, the intrusion actually comes in. You want to be able to detect that the intrusion has come in, and you want to respond to that intrusion. So intrusion detection sometimes, or sometimes still fail. Uh, for example, denial of service. There's no way to prevent that. And by the time that you detect a denial of service is happening, normally it's too late. So you really have to have another line of defense, meaning how do you tolerate intrusion? So how do you build intrusion-tolerant systems? But uh, this talk, we're going to focus on intrusion detection techniques. So uh, for intrusion detection to work, the assumption is that System activities can be observable. You know, when you log into a system, if you turn on the audit mechanisms, and by looking at the audit data, we can find out what you have been doing on the system. So we have to assume that, and this is this is a pretty much a very good assumption, given the uh, audit mechanisms that we have nowadays on uh, network and on operating systems. And another assumption is that the normal and intrusive activities they must have distinct evidence in the audit data i think about intrusion detection uh, similar to like uh, investi- investigating a crime if you go to a crime scene and you cannot find any evidence then there's no way for you to solve that case right so same thing here that we have to assume that the normal and intrusive activities they leave distinct evidence so really intrusion detection goal is to analyze all the data and find out the evidence of intrusion. So the uh, main techniques are misuse detection, which is based on patterns of known attack uh, programs. So the idea here is that if you knew that a um, attack is coming from a well Uh, from a widely published program, for example, you can download such attack programs on the web. And you can study these attack programs and basically abstract the patterns of actions of this attack. Then you can build a pattern matching engine to monitor the system activities. So that next time, when a high school kid downloaded this program and run it again, you know it's it's actually is going to match with your pattern and you can detect this particular known intrusion so that's misuse uh, detection technique another different uh, technique is called anomaly detection here and the idea is that you don't assume you know the attack method to begin with so all you all you know is the normal behavior so the idea is that you want to build uh, a set of uh, normal profiles that characterize what's normal. Okay. Then you observe runtime system activities, and if that measure deviates from your normal profile significantly, then you can draw a conclusion that, hey, something must be wrong, let's investigate, maybe that's an intuition. Really, uh, you need both anomaly detection technique and misuse detection techniques. Now, what's the state of the current Uh, intrusion detection techniques, the assessment is that it's not as effective as what we hoped they are. Um, The true positive rate, meaning the percentage of intrusions that can be correctly detected, are kind of low. Um, For example, a lot of signatures, meaning the patterns of known intrusions they don't work very well. After they are developed on the on the for particular environment, so if you develop a set of intrusion patterns for a particular network, and then you move these patterns and install on a, on a different network environment, they may not work even if the same attack program is is run on that same network. Why? Because different network may have different configurations, different traffic patterns, and those signatures depends on not only the attack program, but also the background network configuration. So if the background configuration change, the attack uh, signature may not work. So um, another problem is that there are very high false positive rate. High positive is basically a situation where a a normal activity is being uh, considered as intrusion, which is false, right? And this is especially a problem with anomaly detection mechanisms. Because for anomaly detection mechanisms to work, the idea is that you assume what's normal and you detect what's deviating from normal profile as possible intrusions, but what's deviating from the normal profile could just be the new normal behavior that you have not uh, observed previously. So when you characterize a normal behavior as possible intrusion, you, you result in a false positive. So, um, why intrusion detection techniques are not as as effective as they should be, or as we we hope for? Um, really, I can think of the reasons being we don't have very good theoretical foundations of what is intrusion, how intrusion detection should work, and also because of that, we don't have very good development process to develop intrusion detection systems. So most of the uh, systems are developed using what I call um, pure knowledge engineering techniques. Basically, the the uh, process involves studying a particular network configuration, network in, uh, operating system environments, the application software, and the possible attack methods that can be launched. So based on that knowledge, you basically pattern, pattern uh, you hand code the patterns and install them and hope that they will work. But the network environment is really too complicated. So uh, just going through the engineering knowledge engineering process is very slow and very ex- expensive process. So um, part of my research is that we try to use some tools that can be used very widely um, so that you don't always have to go very specific piece of knowledge and encode them. The idea is that you you can just get the audit data from a system, and then you apply this set of rules, uh, this set of tools. That would give you some starting points. Okay, these starting points are, for example, uh, statistical patterns of the audit from the audit data that tells you what's the normal background traffic of your network. What you know, when intrusion is launched in your network, what's the unique patterns f- resulting from the intrusion? So, from those patterns, computed from this set of rules, uh, this set of tools, the engineers can um, quickly come up with better intrusion detection rules. Okay, instead of going pure manually from the, from the beginning. So that's the main motivation. Um, the approach is basically a, th- a three main steps. The first step is that you want to compute statistical patterns of the system activity from the audit data. And then you want to identify what are the intrusion patterns, okay, what, what are so unique about this intrusion that's different from the normal. Okay. And then based on that analysis, you construct a number of features that can uniquely identify intrusion, meaning separate intrusion from normal. Okay, so based on those features, you can easily come up with intrusion detection signatures or, or rules. And uh, we have gone through some uh, development in the past few years and has, has been evaluated on one of the uh, government sponsored uh, evaluation. And we have done quite well. So, um, so the method has been validated to a degree. So the process of applying data mining techniques to build intrusion detection models is the following. So we start with all audit data. Right? And that's what you get from the system. And then, uh, since it's binary, we have to uh, convert, process it and convert it into ASCII data and analyze the packets and events from the audit data. And then we, again, summarize them, summarize the uh, packets into connection data or summarize the event into a session. So a session is, for example, a Telnet session. A connection can be like FTP connection. So each of these connections, are defined according to a schema that consists of a number of features that will be very useful to separate normal connections from intuition ones. Okay, So how do we define those features? Well, we first compute the patterns from the connection records. And then, based on the uh, unique intuition patterns, we add features that can separate intuition from normal ones. So once we have those features, we can view very predictive models to, to say, given a connection record, I can tell you whether this is intrusion or normal. So that's the uh, whole process. So obviously, uh, this process can be iterative, meaning sometimes you find out that the performance of the model is not as, as good as you hope, and you can go back to define uh, more features. Okay, and how do we do that? Well, you have, to, you have to go back and compute more patterns. So this process is iterative. So just give an example of um, what I mean by processing the audit data into connection record. So we begin with the uh, TCP dump packet data, right? And then we summarize in a uh, we process the. Uh, packet-level data, so each line of the first box is one, basically one packet, right, from source A from source A to destination B, for example. And then, uh, you know, a network connection has many packets, right, so we analyze the packet-level data and then summarize what's going on within a connection by looking at all the packets belonging to that connection, and then define a number of features for each connection. So each line in the second second table is basically a connection record. So you see a number of features, for example, the timestamp, the duration of the connection, the source and destination, a number of of bytes being transferred from source to destination, and what's the service on the destination for the connection, and a flag. A, A flag here is a summary of the connection behavior according to the protocol specification. For example, a flag SF is for TCP meaning it has been seen and fined according to the uh, specification, and REJ meaning is basically simply rejected by the destination, and uh, so on and so forth. Now I want to uh, briefly talk about what are the data mining algorithms that would be useful to build intrusion detection models. So there are many, many algorithms in data mining field, uh, but there are only a, only. A handful that I think are relevant to intuition detection systems, the first one is what I call uh, what we call classification algorithms. So in classification, the task is to map data items into predefined categories, for example, you want to classify apple and and orange you know a given set of apple orange you want to separate them right so I think intuition detection can be naturally cast as a classification problem because, you know, given a set of uh, connection, for example, whole days connection, you want to classify: Hey, is this connection normal or is, is this connection a intrusion? So it's a natural uh, fit to this uh, classification paradigm. And we use rule learner here to learn classification rules. Okay, and why we use rule instead of uh, more complicated paradigm like neural nets? Well, the idea here is that rules are very intuitive for human engineers to interpret and to process. So the idea here is that we don't want our tools to replace the IDS developers. I mean, these tools should be like a, a, a development toolkit. So the outputs of this toolkit would be understandable to the human. So we stick with the rule uh, format. Another algorithm that would be useful is what we call link analysis. So link analysis can determine the frequent relations between system features. And, uh, and this will turn out to be very useful, and I'll give you an example. Another kind of algorithm is called sequence analysis. And we know that in uh, system and network activities, Most of the uh, actions, they have some kind of temporal context. For example, for for denial service to work, at least some of the denial service that relies on flooding the targets, uh, they have very, very strong temporal statistical pattern. For example, uh, for for it to work, you will see a lot of packets coming to to, to the victim in a very short period of time. So that kind of sequential um, information is very useful for intrusion detection purposes. So let's talk about classification rules. So a rule learner is basically given a set of data where each record is defined using a set of features. The rule learner is trying to pick up a set of conditional tests that basically use the most distinguishing and concise feature value test so that it can separate data into different categories. So for example, um, some rules here that we actually build, uh, the first rule says that if the connection has more than one wrong fragment, meaning the fragmentation is not, uh, is not done according to the specification, meaning, for example, the offset is overlapping, is not multiple of a bytes, something like that. And also, it's, uh, the protocol is ICMP. Then it's, it's a non-intuition called ping of death. Okay, the idea of ping of death is you send fragmented ping packets that the offset is, is wrong, so you would crash some systems. So, so that's a rule that that can be learned, and also another. So the uh, second rule is that f- to detect Smurf attack. Smurf attacks basically a lot of ICMP uh, echo request is being uh, sent to the. Uh, to a broadcast network, so you will see a lot of um, a, a victim host getting a lot of ICMP echo uh, request. Okay, so so that so that's example of the rule here, and for the classification rule to work properly, the the condition, I mean the key really is the conditional test for the feature values, right? So if the connection records don't include Features that can distinguish normal and normal and intrusion records, your rule is not going to be very effective. So really, the key here is to find out the features that its values can determine uh, can distinguish normal and intrusion. So in in the information theory term, those are the features that have very high information gain. Okay, Uh, high information gain is the same as what's called reduction in entropy. And entropy is basically a measure of how, how pure the data is, or how impure the data is. So just give you an example, if you give a data that has um, only one class, meaning it gives me a, a, a basket of apples, then entropy is zero. Why? Because anything that you pick up from a basket, I know it's apple. So I don't have to use any, um, there's no uncertainty here. But if you have more than one kind of fruit, then I have to use several bits to represent whether it's apple or orange or something else, right? So entropy really measures the impurity of the data. So if you have a feature that have high information gain, that means it can separate data into more pure subsets so that each subset is in its own category, which means you can separate data into intuition or, or normal. So, how do you find those features? Our idea is that you first compute the patterns, statistical patterns, from the audit data, and then you compare, um, compare the patterns of normal and intrusion. Then you identify the intrusion-only patterns, and then use those patterns to define the features. So. So what are those patterns? And um, the first one is what is called association rules. Association rule basically categorize the correlation between um, system features. So as a, an example here is that suppose you have all the data that consists of the shell commands that user type, right? So each command is one record that has the, com- the command name, the timestamp, the host. So an example here is that you will see when the user sends email is from the host, from host A and in the morning, OK, 30% of the time. So that's a confidence. And this activity accounts for 10% of its daily activity on the host. So that's kind of a statistical measure that would be useful. Another example here is called frequent episode. It's a sequential kind of pattern. So go back to the uh, shell command example. This example says that after the user VI, the C program, is going to compile the C program within you know, five command time window. So this kind of uh, temporal patterns would also be very useful. So um, I'm going to skip some of the details here. But the main idea of, of um, computing these patterns is the following. So suppose we have uh, intuition data. We compute the patterns. And then we compare. We then we also compute the patterns from a set of historical normal data and attack data that we store uh, in the archive, right? And then we compare the patterns that, that we compute from these two sets, and then we identify what's unique about this set that we want to study for this intrusion. And then, based on the identified intrusion patterns, we define new features and we add those new features to the training data so that each data now, each record now is being expanded to accommodate the new features. And based on that, we can apply some learning algorithms to learn the uh, the models. I'm going to give an example here. So, um, so for example, um, Go to here, so this example is a sin flood pattern, so sin flood pattern is the following that um, the attacker will going to send you know sin request to the victim but never finish the uh, the handshake, so the victim is forced to hold the request in a uh, in, in in memory and sooner or later it's going to run out of buffer space and and the new connection cannot be cannot be served, so it's kind of denial of service. Uh, intrusion here. So this pattern says that all these uh, all these uh, activity are to the same host. okay. And for each of these activity, they're to the same service, HTTP, meaning here the target is HTTP. And the flag is S0, meaning only one SIM packet is sent. There's no follow up for the handshake. So once this unique intrusion pattern for SIM flood is identified, we can add the following features. Uh, since all these are to the same host, then we're going to add a feature, say, we want to count how many connections are to the same host okay? in the past two seconds. Why two seconds? Because that's the time window that we compute from the pattern, uh, for the pattern. And then, for all these connections to the same host, we want to also compute the percentage of connections that, that are to the same service. Why, why, do, why do we do that? Because the same service is being used in the pattern. And also the percentage of connections that with a, that had a s zero flag, okay. So based on this uh, pattern, we can add three new features, and uh, we can prove that because adding these new features, now the intrusion records will be very different from the normal ones because the values of these features for the normal for the intrusion ones are very different from the from the normal ones. So, in, in other words, these features have very high information gain, and they can be used in the classification rule algorithm to learn a very accurate classifier. Um, so, I'm probably not going to go into the detail of the um, evaluation, but just give you one example here. Um, that we analyze a huge amount of DARPA data data. Um, that the MIT Lincoln collected from a simulated network environment for Air Force LAN. And they have uh, embedded intuitions in their training data. So they will tell us what are the intuitions, where are in the data. So based on this uh, training data set, we um, computed patterns from the intuition data. And then we constructed new features to character- characterize what's the traffic model for this environment. So some of the features are the following. For example, uh, how many connections are to the same host, and percentage of rejected connections, percentage with seen errors, percentage of different services, so on and so forth. And uh, these features are basically automated. They are generated automatically from the patterns. And the result seems to be very good. Um, you know, We have a very good result from the evaluation. Um, so, so, there are some limitation on on this uh, framework. First of all, it's a still a misuse detection mechanism, meaning you really need example of no intrusion in the training data uh, for the data mining uh, algorithm to work here, because we are learning classifiers. So, the, for the classifier to work, you have to give example of each category. So you have to give example of what's normal. You have to give example of what's intrusion, and you hope the classifier can learn, automatically learn a rule to, to distinguish normal and intrusion. So initially we we naive we very we, are, we were very naive and we thought that okay you know so what you just download attack programs run in your network obtain your customized attack data apply our our tool then you can learn the customized. Uh, detection rules that will work well in your network environment, but guess what? Not very. Not many people want to simulate intrusion in their network because their network is used for production, right? So, so that's a major limitation here, and um, we really don't know how to solve it yet. Uh, another limitation is that we assume a fixed session definition, uh, mainly because it's a it's all fly system, meaning the. the the detection rule would work after the connection has terminated. Because all the connection are defined using a set of features. And if those features are not are populated yet, there's no way for the rule to work. But for the features to be populated, the connection has to be terminated first. So it's not a real-time system yet. Um, although we are working on some method to to basically um, transform the flying models into real-time versions. But that requires a lot of engineering work. Um, so I'm going to talk about some uh, recent research. Um, I'm probably going to skip this part, uh, go to the anomaly detection work. Uh, I think this is a very uh, important, because if you think about misuse detection techniques, Major limitation there is that if some attacker is going to invent a novel a novel meaning completely new intrusion, the misused IDS will not work. Why? Because it's 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 based on known it's based on signatures of known attacks. So if someone invent a new method, completely new, it it, it won't have a signature in your in your signature base. So it's going to probably go by without being being caught. So really, how do we detect novel intuitions? The only hope, I think, relies on uh, anomaly detection method. Why? Because it doesn't assume knowledge of intuition. It just assumes, it basically try to learn, OK, what's normal? And then detect what's deviating from normal as possible intuitions. Now, there's a, there's a lot of problems with the current anomaly detection techniques. Actually, I don't know any commercial ideas use this technique because it's not working right yet. OK, it's a lot of uh, very high false positive rate. Uh, and but, but again, like I said, it's, I think it's the only hope to detect novel attacks, so I try to study that. Um, so our main focus is on how do we, um, given a set of all the data, how do we design, how do we determine what's the best model that we can build? Again, how do you predict the performance of the model once you build it to say, OK, if, it, if you move it to some other environment, what do you expect? You know, what, what do you expect its performance will be? And our approach is, again, based on some information theoret- theoretic uh, measures that we can compute from the audit data. So we start with a very simple case study. Uh, it's anomaly a detection for Unix processes. So, for example, SendMail is an example uh, of uh, what's called privileged Unix process because when SendMail runs, it runs as a root, right? And SendMail is a very complicated piece of software. It has a lot of uh, bugs and holes. So it's a, it's a target of constant exploits the hackers' community, right? There's a lot of buffer overflow exploits on Saml. that because Saml runs as a root, if you buffer overflow Saml, you're going to able to attain a root shell, which is not a good thing. So so how do we uh, build anomaly detection system for Saml? So the University of New Mexico group uh, a couple years ago uh, had come up with a very neat idea. The idea is, is very similar to uh, the immune system of human body. It's like human body doesn't have prior prior knowledge of all the diseases that it's going to, to get in all the human body has is about its itself healthy state so if some viruses unknown viruses come in you know the human immune system is going to respond and try to attack the virus it, it, it doesn't have to have prior knowledge of the virus right so so similar idea here is that if the Unix process can have an idea of what's, a, what's its normal profile, normal runtime profile. Then it can probably detect exploits. Uh, so the, the idea here is that if you analyze the system calls they are generated by SandMail in the runtime, and so you have a trace of system calls, consecutive system system calls that are made by SandMail process. And if you take a sequence of sliding window, sliding window of the SandMail trace, and then you take these, take each of these sequences and put into a database, then um, you pretty much we have a database of unique sequences of SML. If you run SML many, many times, you're going to collect a stable set of system core sequences. So the idea is that once you have that stable database, then you can observe a SML run and then compare the sequence Sequence there, and if you see a lot of system call sequences that don't match with your normal database, then you can probably conclude that okay, maybe Saml has been exploited to to uh, to run something else. Now the uh, our approach to this problem is that okay, again let's cast it to a classification problem, and we say okay, the idea is that given the first k system calls. Can we determine what's the, k, what's the next one, k plus one? The, 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 um, I mean, this is not new. I mean, it has been done previously by various groups, including when I was at Columbia. But there's one problem that people kind of uh, constantly ask us, and no one was able to answer: it was like, okay, how do you determine the sequence length? You know, how do you, how, do you, how do you determine k? So, so the University of New Mexico people they come up with the sequence length six then ask, why do they pick up 6? They say, oh, we, we try different numbers, and this happened to work. So and we don't like that. And we say, OK, do we have some kind of a systematic approach to, to understand that? So first of all, I'll give you some uh, some background. So here is a plot of different sandmail traces. They're all normal traces. And uh, if you plot the misclassification rate, meaning the errors that they made, when predicting the k plus one system call versus the system call length, you see that as the system call length in increases, the error rate also goes down. Okay, that's nice to know. So you can say, okay, why don't you just build the build the uh, build different models using different system uh, using different sequence lengths and then pick the best one? Well, building such a model takes a lot, lot lot of time. So if you have to exhaustively build all the models, that's not very uh, practical. So, do you? So, the idea is that do we have like simpler method that can determine what's the right sequence length? So, another plot is that the uh, the idea that the short sequence system calls would work is that if you look at the normal profile, the misclassification rate is kind of low, like below 10%. But for the intrusion trace, they are they are normally above 15%. So, so really, you know, this proves that the uh, Using system called sequences, you can distinguish normal and intuition traces. But like I said, the problem is how do we determine the sequence length? So um, our idea is that we, we measure the entropy of the data. So first of all, what is the entropy? Uh, like I said previously, entropy is basically a measure of uncertainty of the data set that you have. So if you have a data set that has one, only one class, meaning all apples, there's no uncertainty. Uncertainty is zero. OK, so if the uh, entropy value is very small, that means the data is very pure, it's very uh, very certain. So uh, we also compute conditional entropy, meaning if I give you x, how uncertain is y? OK, uh, you don't have to worry about the formula here. Uh, so how do we calculate the conditional entropy for system call data? The idea is that given a system call sequence, for example, a you know a1 to ak. How do we predict the next one, AK plus, ak plus one? So we can say, okay, now the y is the k plus one sequence. X is the uh, k sequence. So by computing the conditional entropy, meaning given the first k plus one system course, what's the you know how much uncertainty it is for us to determine the k plus one? So. So we can, con- we can compute the conditional entropy. Um, some detail here, but but basically, you know, we can see that for the, all the uh, system called sequence that we have for the normal trace, that's a plot of conditional entropy versus the sequence length. And again, you see that the conditional entropy drops as the sequence length increases, okay? And for the semi-l daemon, uh, the previous slide was the... Uh, was the uh, same kinds. so? Demon also exhibit similar behavior in in terms of the uh, conditional entropy versus the sequence length. Now, why am why am I showing you this? Well, now if we want to, if we, if we um, normalize the conditional entropy between one and two, and again the misclassification rate between that same value range, you see that the two plot almost match exactly. Okay, and, and and this is computed uh, using all the all the traces, all the traces of semil. Combine them into one trace. But if you want to, if you want to compute uh, the mean of all traces, basically you see the same behavior again. Meaning the misclassification rate and the conditional entropy, they kind of match. The plot match together. So this tells you that you can compute conditional entropy of the system called trace. And then you can determine pretty much determine the range of the performance of the model that you can build. But by just looking at the, the conditional entropy, you can determine, OK, do I want to pick 6 or 7? Well, there's not much gain in terms of the conditional entropy there. So pretty much they are say the same. But if you pick system call length, let's say 2, obviously that's not very good because the conditional entropy is very high, meaning there's a lot of uncertainty there. And also, you can see the trend that uh, as you increase the the length, the sequence length, the conditional entropy drops, and so is the misclassification rate, OK? So the question is, what is the best sequence length? Do we use as long a sequence length as possible? Well, from a pure accuracy point of view, probably yes. If you talk about some uh, perf- uh, efficiency in runtime, meaning how fast can you determine and catch the intrusion, you probably don't want to use a very long sequence length, right? So it's really a uh, cost-effective kind of consider- consideration that you have to think about. So, so basically, the idea is that how do we get the biggest gain while paying the least cost? Okay. So, what's the cost? Here, we define the cost to be the the time that that is required to process one system call sequence, OK? And then we define the gain to be the accuracy of determining whether the sequence is intrusion or not. So really, what's the accuracy? Well, simple. The accuracy is just 1 minus the misclassification rate. Because misclassification rate is basically the error rate. So 1 minus the error rate is the accuracy rate. Uh, so, if you plot, so here's the uh, time to process one sequence, uh, the time versus the sequence length. And, and you can see pretty much uh, it's a sublinear cost Okay, versus the uh, length of the sequence. So, if we plot a graph of accuracy divided by time, here's what you get. Uh, basically, that's a pretty much cost gain uh, plot. So here the idea is that we want to see what's the um, trade-off between the accuracy and the time. Okay, we don't want to just consider the accuracy. Okay, and you can kind of see that. Well, initially you have some uh, big, you know, big gain, and then kind of taper off after certain length. So this gives you some kind of uh, mechanism to determine, you know, maybe what's the what's the best sequence length. Okay, by considering considering both. The accuracy and the and the time or cost, okay. And obviously, if you have different uh, cost function, the plot may not look the same. But that's the idea that you want to consider not only the accuracy but also the cost. Okay. So um, the conclusion is that I think um, you know data mining techniques can be used to help uh, help us build better intrusion detection systems. Okay. Um, not only, not only just the tools that we use, but also the uh, mathematical foundations underlining underlying these tools. For example, the information theory, uh, the statistical and probability theories, and I think they have some values um, in this domain. And there's some future work that I want to mention. Uh, my assessment is that right now the research ideas or the commercial ideas are uh, become very good in terms of catching attack action, single attack actions. For example, we can very accurately identify, okay, this connection is an intrusion, especially if it's a known one. But what we really need to develop is what's called correlation techniques uh, to understand attack scenario. So suppose you detect an intrusion. Well, then do we know what's the, what's the uh, intention of, the, of this particular action? or where it comes from? Is it uh, because of someone else had planted a backdoor previous, previously? So how do you piece all those information together and understand attack scenario? Uh, that's that's going to be a um, major uh, research topic. And I think the idea, I mean, I think one of the approaches would be you plan multiple sensors in your system. For example, the agent system that we developed here at Purdue. Uh, but then the idea here is that you want to how do you um, combine the evidence or alarms from the multiple agents and then correlate and give a clear understanding of what's the attack scenario. Not just individual attack, session, uh, attack action on single network elements, but a attack scenario target to your whole network. Uh, I think that's a very important work. Also, we're trying to apply very similar approaches using data mining techniques to Build intrusion detection systems for uh, emerging environments. For example, a wireless ad hoc network. Um, there, we want to study, for example, how the ad hoc routing protocols can be catalyzed in terms of normal tra- normal routing uh, behavior, so that if some enemy, some some uh, malicious user uh, steals the uh, Handheld, pack, handheld unit and, and starts to broadcast false routing information. Can, can we detect that kind of uh, intrusion to a wireless network? Uh, the wireless, wireless network environment is very different from the wide network environment and gives a lot of um, challenge. For example, in a wireless network environment, the physical layer is wide open. Right, so the attackers can actually attack that layer also. In a wider network that we run here, no one can attack your Ethernet network without going through your firewall first. Right. So, so, um, and also in a, in a wireless network, especially the ad hoc network, the topology is very dynamic. There's no fixed routers, so you cannot really just just place a intuition detection, you, you cannot just play ideas in a fixed point in your network and expect that to, to be able to monitor the whole network. In a wireless network, every single node can be entry point to the, to the network environment. So you really really have to uh, place your ideas on every single node. And then it comes to again to the problem of how do we correlate, how do you communicate and cooperate, we determine What's the state of the network? Because now your IDS functions really distributed to all the all the nodes. Then how do you, you know, reach a centralized uh, de- determination? So that's going to be uh, also a also very challenging topic. So that's very much what I want to cover today. Yeah. I
0: have a question on, on the, the data mining aspect. Right. One of the um, one of the benefits claimed for data mining is that with enough data you can identify features and groups of features that indicate conditions you're interested in right. that uh, an expert might not otherwise be able to spot. Right. So I'm curious in your experiments, did you identify any features that were surprising to a domain expert as, as being indicative of, of an intrusion? Um, and did you come up with any patterns of features that indicated attacks that, again, were, were significantly different or surprising uh, compared to the, the standard misuse patterns that you
1: right. might find? Okay, uh, that's a very good question. Um, actually, when I presented my thesis, one of the committee members said, well, all your rules are very, very straightforward. I could come up with that, those rules, too. So, uh, so my, my, my answer was that, well, that means my system actually works. Because if it comes up with some rules that you cannot understand or completely outrageous, that probably means that the, uh, my system doesn't work. Right? Uh, but in terms of whether the system produce uh, surprisingly good features, I think the answer probably is yes, but may not be a fair answer. Uh, because I only compare my system with only a handful of systems, for example, Emerald. Right? And I look at their features, they seem to be very, very simple minded. And it so happened that uh, the feature that I computed seems to be more general. For example, if I go back to here uh, fast enough, uh, right, so so you can argue that all these features are kind of general, not specific to, to one attack. Uh, so that, I think that's that's the uh, one of the ad- ad- advantage for data mining is that because the tool itself runs automatically, you can basically cram a lot of attacks into in a huge data data set, and the the, um, the data mining algorithm is going to compute what's the most generic that can distinguish normal from intrusions. Versus a human tend to say, okay, for this attack, I know this specific feature so is going to catch that. And for this other attack, I know this specific feature is going to catch that. But for data mining, maybe, maybe you, we can generate a more abstract and general features that cover both. So I kind of see some evidence, but although uh, you can argue that a human expert can come up with the same set of features, it just so happened that uh, the comparison may not, may not be uh, complete yet.
0: Let me just make the observation that right. uh, if you were to run this against uh, network traffic collected that was encrypted, uh, a VPN observing from the outside, right. or looking at ATM traffic, maybe lane right. uh, on ATM, right. uh, where you can't apply the normal misuse rules because you can't really see into the data. You don't have right. visibility. Right. If you can still find patterns, then you've got something
1: very interesting. Right. Actually, I tried that. Before I before I go into the um, packet portion, I mean the data portion of the packet, I will try to find out, okay, for example, I want to detect uh, the guest password thing. And you will see that because the password prompt is being prompted several times, you actually will see a pattern of number of bytes being, being repeated at the beginning of the telnet connections. So that kind of pattern is supposedly we can compute. But But, soon as, but, but I just basically jump into my knowledge engineering instinct immediately. So, okay, well, I, why don't I just analyze the, the data portion? So I have to be uh, perfectly honest that I started as a mainly a data mining guy, but now I'm more like a security guy. So, so I cannot objectively say that uh, I don't include any knowledge engineer part in my system. It's kind of mixed. So so my stand has changed substantially between the time that I proposed my thesis to now. Right now, my stand is that I don't, I don't think data mining would be a black magic that can replace a lot of knowledge and engineering work. But on the other hand, it's going to provide a lot of help. For example, computing the patterns, using the information theoretic, you know, the, uh, the entropy measures to, to guide you through the, the, uh, the development process. And, and that's what I think the value will be. And it's, it will never be to a point where you can replace the human experts. Uh, because right now, I'm a human expert already. Yeah. yeah. Um.
0: I get the impression that most of your work has been based on network using network
1: data. Actually, I tried on BSM data, too. That's included in my thesis. Uh, but I, um, I never presented that research because um, initially I thought, by having one, one, one model that monitors TCP dump and one model that monitors BSM dump, I'm going to gain a lot. But it turns out that because the way that compute features, and because of the way that the, uh, the evidence would come up on both sources in a similar, similar fashion. So, although the feature definition is not the same, but they're actually capturing the same evidence. So, I'm not gaining anything.
0: So, do you but have any, any comments on that data mining techniques performing better on network data or BSM data or any right. so observation at all, like what
1: you're? Right. So what, what I what I showed the the evaluation result was based on BSM uh, was based on TCP dump data. I did not I just I did not have time to to do the um, BSM when the evaluation happened. But afterwards, I did that and actually performed very very well. Um, actually, one of the Advantage for this tool is that I don't I don't have to uh, be all the data source specific. The same tools would work for BSM as as long as it's processed into a session uh, format that has a number of features, and it, it would just go go there and compute patterns and add more features, apply the rules, and then learn the rules. So all you need to do is is do the uh, the hard part, the really the knowledge engineering part, meaning how do you how do you process the TCP dump data or BSM data into session or connection record? And after, after that, it's quite easy and automatic. Uh, yeah.
2: Uh, a question about the anomaly detection. So right. um, you you, you made, said that it was analogous to the the, the New Mexico uh, right. analogous to the human immune system in that. Right. Um, well, the question becomes, what happens when the system state changes? It's kind of like an organ transplant in a human, and we know how poorly humans react right. to that in terms of their immune system. So how would a system like that deal with uh, an organ transplant, like a libc change or something?
1: Right. So, so in, in that case, then you have to recollect the data and the I mean, that, that that is true for all data mining-based uh, approach. And actually, what I didn't mention was that the reason that I, I stick with the entropy or information theory based measure was that I'm hoping to, to prove that I can, based on entropy measure, I can show that, okay, the environment has changed. So this model will not work anymore. We have to rec- collect the data and retrain. Right now, we just don't have a mechanism to predict and observe that change. But I, I guess, you know, I'm hoping that... In, 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 in six months to a year, I can develop some tools that can tell you, okay, now, because the entropy measure has changed, the environment has changed, the model will not work anymore. We have to, re- to re- change. Yeah? One more
2: question. When you're talking about um, the, the uh, length of time, like the uh, trace time, right. when you say that, that you were optimizing it for efficiency, right. and you were talking about the cost of analyzing the trace, right. was the cost compute time, or was it latency in detection?
1: The, the actually well, it's basically the same to me. It's like um, fitting a fitting a system's, uh, fitting a system called sequence. How you know how much time it takes in terms of milliseconds before you reach a conclusion, yes or no. So you can think of that as sort of latency time or computation time. I mean, I, I think they're the same. If it's compute
2: time, then the question becomes why can't you feed the data off to another box that doesn't have a compute time overhead problem.
1: Well, okay. Um, Really for whole for space, you know, for catching process anomaly, uh, you want to do it there on a kernel, I think. By, by sending the system code data over to another box and compute, it just, to me, doesn't make sense.
0: Yeah. Well, just a comment on that is that in most audit data, Traces don't always appear until after the operation completes, and then you've got to reorder them. So there is an there is some extra cost involved. Right.
1: So I I heard that um, for BSM there's a built-in 10 millisecond delay between the action between the completion of the action to the time that it shows up on your audit data. So there already some latency built in there already. So um, I didn't want to go into that because it's so much system and architecture. uh, You know still there. And, right. So
2: was I correct in understanding
1: that you were indicating that the findings
2: for things like the window length and right. the uh, system called prediction, that was not generalizable, that if I were to say create a new daemon, I'd have to figure out how to break into it in order to train a system like this?
1: Right, so so basically I, I don't think you you could have a formula, say plug in some parameters of SML and boom, I'm going to compute a, a length for you. I don't think that would work. Why? Because I mean, all these programs, they are like handcrafted to begin with. I mean, they're, they're not following any formula or anything. So, so the best you can do is you gather all the data, and then you compute uh, with confidence, you know, with certain confidence that in what's the best sequence thing. So, so if you want to train a model for a different program, you have to go through the same exercise.
2: But do I have to figure out ways to break into the system to compromise it or exploit a vulnerability in it in order to, dip, to build the, uh, the data that you're using?
1: I don't quite understand the, the question. So, so for the
2: SendMail, so right. the Mexico, things, right. they run a normal operation. They run a series of attacks against it. So that way you have good behavior and attack behavior. Right. So let's say we create a new mailer program to replace SendMail. Right. Do I have to figure out how to break into that system in order to get data that says this is good behavior, this is someone breaking into it? Oh,
1: actually, no. Um, the, uh, the data that we use to plot the, the uh, conditional entropy, we use pure normal data. We don't use any uh, intrusion data. I mean, I only show you one plot to 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 pro- to basically show you the uh, idea that this works work. Because if you have if you happen to have intrusion traces, the error rate is much higher than the normal normal traces. So that's 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 the evidence that this kind of uh, profiling would work because it, disting- it, stick- it distinguishes a normal trace with the intrusion ones. But in the training. Uh, to get conditional entropy and the error rate, we don't use any uh, intrusion traces. We use only pure normal traces. Yeah. That's to, yeah. a to a question it's about time. Um, types of uh, intrusions.
0: Whether you found something new which was not known
1: before,
0: right. but were there types of intrusions which are known which you were unable to pick up? Was mm-hmm. there a pattern in those? Areas. Mm-hmm.
1: Right. We have some. Um, yeah, there's some known intuition that we don't pick up because, okay, that's again, actually that's a caveat of data mining uh, approaches. Data mining approaches are based on pure statistics. So they will say, okay, uh, let's say you give, them, give the uh, data mining program, let's say, 1,000 examples and only one intuition, the, uh, the data mining program may ignore that that example. Intuition example because stat- statistically it's not important. It's only 0.1 percent. So some of the rules that they build, already have have a uh, have error rate. They are saying that well, this rule will work 90 percent of the time. So 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 miss which means there will be 10 percent of the time you will miss that intuition. Intuition detection. You really are not looking for.
0: You're looking more for the anomalies and the outliers.
1: So Right. So so what I'm saying is that it's very difficult for the uh, the, uh, data mining program to compute 100% uh, accurate because of some conflicts of the feature that that they select. So it has to basically select a set of features that agree with the majority of the intrusion classes. So you would miss some of the instances of the intrusion class. Um, I mean one way that you can can sort of uh, somehow alleviate this problem is that you can put some weight on different intuition classes. For example, you say, okay, buffer overflow, I want you to be 100% accurate. And then you can force the data mining algorithm to learn very specific rules, very similar to a human hand-coding style. But for some other intuition you say, okay, I don't want you to spend so much time, you know, you can be less accurate. And then then it would it would be more, you know, it would be faster to compute the rules. So you can sort of alleviate that problem. Right, so... so uh, I don't know whether really. I the question right. Well there are the types of attacks, uh, of known attacks for which you're unable to compute reasonable features. Yeah. For example, guess password. So how do you know? Okay, so is it failing to log in three times indicator or five times? So you know some some people, you know, choose three times then it might have some false alarm because uh, you know it happened to be stumble, stumbling you know, you may maybe he didn't drink enough coffee, so you keep having wrong passwords. But you know, if you raise this, okay, five, five, you have to follow in five times, then you're going to miss a lot of intrusions. So how do you set that threshold? So just like I said, the data mining algorithm is going to pick the threshold; they will agree with majority of that, but then it's going to miss some of the some of the uh, attack. So, but I guess that goes with the uh, hand coding too.
0: That's why a lot of the the systems that have been done along these lines, like CMDs and the work at University of New Mexico and others, combine the two. Right, right, right. Make it work. Right. Any other questions? Well, thank you very much.